Well, thank you for joining us today. It's so good to see each of you. Merry Christmas. Yes, we're a day late, but we're still celebrating, right? Um, If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 2. Just a reminder, we are, this is a family style service, meaning parents, your kids are staying in here, so we don't have nursery uh, or kid zone today. And don't be anxious about that. And of course, if you're a parent of a young child, you're thinking, yeah, right. Uh, it's okay if your children are making a little bit of noise. Uh, so if you need to step out with them, that's fine, but uh, don't feel concerned if they're making a little bit of noise while they're in this service, if they're not normally in here. This is the fifth week of Advent, the season of waiting, right? The season of waiting on Jesus coming on the arrival of our Lord. The theme for this week is the Christ child uh, because he came, right? We, We celebrated yesterday that he was born, the Savior of the world came. God was faithful as he always is. Uh, He kept his word to send his son, the rescuer. I've titled my sermon, Good News of Great Joy. And don't we need that today? Don't we need that today? We, We need hope, right, in this world that often feels hopeless. We need peace. We need joy and love. And the message today is a reminder that we have that uh, in Christ Jesus. This is good news for all of us still today. So I'm going to read the text from Luke 2, verses 1 through 20, and then pray for us as we get ready for the truth from God's Word. Luke 2, starting in verse 1. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. This first registration took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family line of David, to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him. And was pregnant. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Then she gave birth to her firstborn son. And she wrapped him tightly in cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over the flock, over their flock. And an angel of the Lord stood before them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid. For look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly, there was a multitude of the heavenly host with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to the people he favors. When the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go straight to Bethlehem 
and see what has happened which the Lord has made known to us. They hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. After seeing them, they reported the message that they were told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed what the shepherds said to them. But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, which were just as had been told. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. I thank you for each one here today. We thank you for the opportunity to worship. We thank you for this message of good news that's still good news for each one of us. I pray that you will work in our hearts and minds to believe and to live lives changed because it is true. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. I want to highlight a couple of of details uh, from the first seven verses. Uh, Just kind of some background and and some additional things to note. And then we'll get to uh, the message that was proclaimed. This message of good news for us. So the first thing I want us to see uh, as we look at verses 1 through 5 is just a little bit of the background that's going on. Luke uh, was always intentional in providing uh, details, very specific details, and that was for a purpose. He's presenting evidence. Uh, Luke tells us in the beginning of his gospel that he had uh, done a, like, an investigation of all the details and all the facts concerning Jesus. And he is presenting those for them to be believed in. And so here, when we see people and time frames and cities and places, he's saying, like, I I did the research and here's all the facts that uh, we have concerning the birth of Jesus. Starting in verse 1, In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. This first registration took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the household and family line of David, to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. So this is during the rule of Caesar Augustus. Uh, Caesar Augustus was the great nephew of Julius Caesar. He took the reign uh, after Julius Caesar was murdered. He's the first of the Caesars to be called Augustus. And the word means holy or revered. Uh, And it was during his reign that the Caesars were elevated by the, the men of the empire to being of the status of the gods. They really were viewed as god-men. And throughout the empire, people under his reign called him the Savior. And so Caesar Augustus 
calls for a registration. We don't know what the purpose was. What, what the purpose was. It was likely uh, a registration for tax purposes, uh, or it could have been because he was building up an army or a workforce of individuals, and he needed an official count of the empire. But whatever it was, he has a reason to call for a registration. And I think it's significant that the the individual who uh, is, has been elevated to the status of a God-man, the individual who was viewed as the savior of his people, that he was used by God to bring about the circumstances that will take Joseph and Mary to the city of Bethlehem, which is what the prophets said all the way back. Micah, I think 700 years before this, had said that Bethlehem is where the Savior of the world is going to be born. Bethlehem's where the promised Messiah is going to be born. And now that the Messiah is ready to be born, God uses this individual to orchestrate events to move Joseph and Mary to the city of Bethlehem for the registration. And there, the angel's going to proclaim, the real Savior's here. The real Savior of the world has come. He's born. He's actually here. The God-man, not a self-elevated God-man, the the actual God-man has been born. Jesus. The second detail I want us to point out from these verses, verses 6 and 7, we see this. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Then she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him tightly in cloth, And laid him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. I just want us to think about the humble conditions of that reality. The Savior of the world is born. The King of Kings has come. Deserving all of the greatest luxuries in life. And he has no place to lay his head. Now, we've kind of added to this that there was kind of a grumpy old innkeeper that just didn't want to let them stay. Uh, That's not in the text. It just says there wasn't room for them. And the reason there wasn't room for them is there's been a registration, and all of these people have flooded into the cities for the registration. The city's overcrowded. More people than just Joseph and Mary had to go to Bethlehem for the registration. And the city is full, and there's no place for the King of Kings. There's no place for the Lord of Lords to lay his head. And so he's laid in a manger, a feeding trough. Meaning he was likely born in a stable, or maybe like a rock carve-out like a small cave where animals would stay. There was no place for him. And so Philippians talks about Jesus humbling himself, right? It would have been him humbling himself even if he came in all the glory and majesty and had all the luxuries of life. It still would have been him humbling himself if he had come in that manner. Because the Son of God, who was eternal, was taking on flesh. But He didn't just take on flesh. He took on the lowest sickness. And the suffering that He was going to endure wasn't just suffering on the cross. It started on the night of His birth when He didn't even have a place to lay His head. The King of Kings was laid 
and a feeding trough for animals. So I just wanted to highlight a few of those things for us. Now I want us to work our way through the message that's proclaimed about Jesus Christ being born. And so as we look at this message of good news, of great joy, that the Savior of the world has come, I want us to see some of the truths that are true for all of us if we've put our faith in Him. And then I want us to think about how we should respond to this message. The first truth for us is this. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be afraid since Jesus has been born, since the Son of God came and the Savior of the world was born, we don't have to be afraid. Let's look at verses 8 through 10. In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid. For look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy for, that will be for all the people. The shepherds receive this message. Now, that may be an interesting choice, right? From human standpoint, you would think, why wouldn't the angel first go to the religious leaders? Why wouldn't he go to the, the chief priests or all of the religious leaders to say, He's finally here, the one y'all have been studying about, the one that y'all have been talking about. He's finally come. So it may seem interesting that the message goes to shepherds, but I think it's actually fitting for a couple of reasons. First, it's fitting because, remember, Luke is presenting Jesus. Luke is, is trying to remind the readers that Jesus was the Savior of the whole world. He wasn't just the Savior for the influencers. He wasn't just the Savior for the, for the elites. He was the Savior for everyone. And coming to a group of shepherds who have very low status, it's a reminder that this is good news for them too. And it's good news for us as well. The second reason I think that it's significant that the message comes first to the shepherds these shepherds in Bethlehem are not far from Jerusalem. These shepherds are watching over sheep that are likely going to be some of the sheep that are taken up to the temple and going to be sacrificed. And the angel comes to them who are watching over the sacrificial sheep and says, the perfect sacrifice is here. You can go and see him. The, the one that John's going to eventually call the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world has come. And so I think it's significant that the shepherds watching over the sheep that will be sacrificed receive the message that the Savior has come. And the angel stands before them and they are terrified, which is a regular response to seeing uh, one of God's messengers Fear overcomes them. The, the text actually says they feared a great fear. They were crippled by fear at the realization that a messenger from God was standing before them. And the angel says, fear not. You don't have to be afraid. I, I actually am here for some really good news for you. Really good news for the whole world. Jesus the Savior of the world has come. 
Fear not. This world, uh, especially in our culture, we promote fear, right? We use it as a motivator. Uh, marketing strategies use this. Like, it, If you don't have what we have to offer, think what might happen to you. Think what might happen to your family or your loved ones if you don't have this. Our politicians do that, right? Try to motivate us with fear. If we let this side win, it's going to be the end of the world as you know it. If we let that happen, the whole world's going to collapse. And they try to motivate people with fear. And here we have a message You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be crippled by fear. Many of you have seen, most of us likely have seen, the uh, Charlie Brown Christmas special. Anybody watch it this Christmas season yet? So we've got, some of us have watched the Charlie Brown Christmas Christmas special. Uh, Most of you have likely seen it before. The creators of that did something brilliant. And I didn't notice this on my own. I read a post about it. And when I saw it, I thought, oh, that was so brilliant that they included this, right? So Charlie Brown, uh, frustrated, really not feeling like he's in the Christmas spirit, and uh, finally snaps one day and just says, can't anyone tell me what Christmas is all about? And Linus takes the stage and he recites this passage And the creators did this beautiful thing. When he gets to the words from the angel that says, fear not, Linus drops his blanket in the scene. And I had never seen that until I read that. And when we watched it that year, I was like, oh, that's so brilliant, right? Linus is the one who he can't go anywhere without his security blanket. He has to have it day in and day out. But as he proclaims this good news about the Savior being born, and he, he recites those words from the angels, Fear not, Linus drops his blanket and shares the good news that Jesus has come. Since Jesus was born, we don't have to be crippled with fear. That doesn't mean that fear is bad altogether, right? We have, uh, we have feelings and emotions that are God-given, and there's nothing wrong with them. But sometimes fear can cripple us And we have good news that we don't have to be crippled by fear anymore about what's going to happen in this world. If we've trusted in Jesus, we have really good news and we do not have to be afraid. The second truth for us is this. We can be a people of joy. We can be a people of joy. Let's look at verses 10 through 12. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. Good news of great joy. And again, Luke highlighting, not joy for just some. This is joy Good news of great joy for all the people. For anyone who would put their faith in this child. This is good news of great joy. Jesus was born for us. Our Savior came for us. The one who could redeem us and rescue us has finally come. And that should produce joy in us. And God again provides a sign For them to go and see. We've seen that previously in these texts as we've been walking through the birth narratives. First, Zechariah is given a sign. You won't be able to speak 
until this child is born. Until all these things happen just as God has told you they would. And then Mary was given a sign. You could go and see Elizabeth. She's in her sixth month. The one who was called childless is, is carrying a child that's going to pave the way for your child. And now a third sign to the shepherds. You can go and see the one that we're talking about. You can go and take, like you can look upon the face of the Savior of the world. He's, this is how you find him. He's wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. And so this is good news of great joy. So much of this world tries to steal our joy, right? This fallen world, the brokenness that we see, the brokenness that we endure, can steal our sense of joy. And this good news is good news that can never be taken from us, that the Savior of the world has come for us. God loved us so much that He sent His one and only Son for us. And He came, the one that could redeem us and rescue us. That should produce a people of joy in the church. I think it was T.J. Timms in a, in a sermon. He said, Emmanuel Nashville. I think it, it was him that I heard listening to a sermon. He said, you know, if your sins are forgiven, put a smile on every once in a while. We can be a people of joy. Our Savior came for us. The Rescuer came and finished the work that was necessary so that we could be saved. Now, it doesn't mean that we are oblivious to hardship so that we pretend that we don't face them. But because of this good news, we can be a people of joy because this joy, this message of a Savior cannot be taken away from us. That is good news. The third truth that we can hold on to is this. We can have peace. Because Jesus came, we can have peace. Let's look at verses 13 and 14. Suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly host with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to the people he favors. A multitude of angels show up. A a heavenly army shows up. I envision the sky being full, right? One moment they're looking up at the stars... And then the angel of the Lord is before them. And then the sky is full of an army of angels praising God, giving glory to God. And then declaring, because of what he's done, there's peace on earth. Peace for those who he has shown his favor. Those who have received God's grace and mercy have received peace with God. Because the Son of God, who is the Prince of Peace, has come and He made peace. When He accomplished what He came to do, He made peace between God and man. We see that recorded in Colossians, in that beautiful passage about Jesus. And in Colossians 1 and verse 19, we see, For God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Him, and through Him to reconcile everything to Himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through His shed blood on the cross. 
Once you were alienated and hostile in your minds, expressed in your evil actions, but now He has reconciled you by His physical body through His death to present you holy and faultless and blameless before Him. Jesus Christ made peace with us. He lived a perfect life, died the death that we deserve, and if we've believed in Him, we have peace in our lives with God. This is good news. This is good news for all of us. And it's the message that we need today, every single one of us. And the question for us is, what do we do with that? Right? What do we do with this message of good news that a Savior has come for us? The first thing that we do is we believe it. Right? The first thing we need to do is believe this message of good news. Let's look back at the text, verses 15 through 17. The responses that uh, God's Word calls us to are what we see happening in the characters here. So the first thing, believe it. Verse 15, when the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go straight to Bethlehem. And see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. After seeing them, they reported the message that they were told about this child. The shepherds hear the good news that the Savior of the world has come and they believe it. They didn't say, let's go to Bethlehem and see if it's true. So let's go and see. The Savior of the world's here. I want to see Him. The Messiah, the promised Lord, has come. The one who can right all the wrongs, who's going to fix all this brokenness, who's going to bring about the redemption and the forgiveness of our sins. Let's go and see Him. They believed. And they went and saw the Messiah. They went and saw Jesus. And that should be our response too. When we hear this good news of great joy, we should believe it. Scripture's full of of statements that talk about that's what we're called to do is believe. In John chapter 1, we see this recorded. John 1 verse 12. But to all who did receive Him, He gave them right the right to be children of God to those who believe in His name. We're called to believe. John 3.16 goes on to say, you know, for God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whosoever believes in Him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. Believe it. And so have you believed this good news message about the Savior of the world? Have you trusted in Him? And if not, that's what we, we hope for you. That's what God's desire is for you. Because this is good news for you, that the Savior came. And so if you haven't trusted Him, we want you to trust in Christ today. And we want to be able to share with you how you can trust in Christ, how you can believe in Him. But of course, church, this is for us too. This message is a message that we need to believe in and put our hope in, that the Savior came for us. Right? Let's believe it. Believing this message gives us hope. The second thing for us to do is this. Be amazed at what God has done. Be amazed at what God has done. Luke 2, 
verse 18 and 19. Right? The shepherds have told them, man, we were out in the fields and an angel was standing before us and he told us the Savior's been born. And then all the sky was full. And they were praising God, angels. And verse 18, And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. They were amazed. Can you believe this? God sent His Son. God sent the Messiah. He sent the promised one. The one that was promised all the way back in the garden has finally come. The rescuer's here. And they were amazed to hear that message. Mary amazed and treasures treasures these things in her heart and ponders them, meditates on them. Things like Now Mary knew. The angel already told her. This is what's going to happen. This is the child that you're going to carry. God's going to cause this miracle to happen in you and you are going to give birth to the Son of God. She knew, but as she hears other people affirm the message that she had been told, she treasures that in her heart. She's amazed. And look at what God's doing. And that should be our response too. When we hear that God sent His Son for us, we should be amazed at what God has done. And then the last thing for us to do with this message is this. Praise God for what He's done. We should praise God for what He's done. Verse 20. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. They glorified God. They praised God. We got to see the Messiah. We got to see the promised one. We got to look at his face as he laid down sleeping in a manger. And they rejoiced and praised God. That's been the response throughout this story, right? As, As the story has unfolded, Mary, right? My soul magnifies the Lord. Zechariah, after ten months of silence, his first words are... Blessed be the Lord because of the salvation that He's brought. The angel army, glory to God in the highest. And now the shepherds praising God, rejoicing in what God has done. And we should do the same. Praise God for what He has done. Our response to this good news should be the same. We should live lives of praise. If you want to know more about believing in Jesus, if you've never trusted in Jesus for your salvation, we want to be able to share with you some good news and uh, go into a little bit more detail of what it means to trust in Christ. So schedule a time to speak with me or one of our staff members or elders because we would love to share the gospel with you church, we've received the best news of all, right? God sent His Son for us. He loves us. And He sent Jesus for us. Our Savior and Redeemer came for us. And so let's always believe and confess that as our only hope. Let's be amazed. Never lose the wonder that God would send His Son for you. Let's be amazed by that.
And let's live lives of praise. Since he came and he's coming again, we can pursue these things in our lives for his glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this message of good news. We thank you that you sent Jesus for us. We thank you that it's good news for all the people and that there's peace to be received for all who would come to you. God, I pray that our lives are changed and shaped by this reality. I pray that the way we live when we leave here demonstrates that we've been changed by your love. Thank you for sending Jesus for us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Today, we're going to take communion together as a reminder of what Jesus did for us to accomplish the salvation that's been provided. Uh, If you did not pick the elements, there's elements on the back table. Uh, And so if you need to pick those up, you can go and pick those up now as we get ready to take them. If you haven't put your faith in Christ, uh, we would ask that instead of taking these elements that are meant as a reminder for the church... Uh, that instead you would spend this time as we talk about salvation and the forgiveness of sins, spend this time thinking about that, uh, what that means for you. Uh, Ask God if you've never believed. God, if it's true, would you help me believe that this is real? And then schedule a time to talk with us about that. But church, we invite all who've trusted in Jesus to join us in this reminder. On the night that he was betrayed, he shared the Passover meal with his disciples. And he told them, as he was getting ready to go to the cross, I want you, when you take this meal, when you take these elements, I want you to remember me. I want you to remember what I did for you. The, the bread being his body, the, the cup of wine being his blood that was shed for the forgiveness of sins. And the church still 2,000 years later does this to remember the sacrifice that was made so that we could have life. The divine Son of God came and lived a perfect life and then died in our place taking the punishment that we deserved. We see in 1 John these words recorded. 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. The sacrifice that was made. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent His one and only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. Love consists in this, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son for us to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. God sent His Son as a sacrifice to take the punishment that we deserve for our rebellion. And so as we get ready to take these, we remember 
it's because of Him. It's because of His sacrifice that we've been made right with God. And so we remember that today in this communion meal. As we prepare to take the elements, it's good for us to spend a moment in prayer and reflection. Uh, and so I'm going to ask Kathy to play for us. And uh, just, spend, just spend a couple of minutes, either by yourself or with your family members, thanking God. This is an opportunity to thank God that He sent His Son Jesus for us. That, that He was sent His Son to be a sacrifice for us so that we could be forgiven. And then confess again, God, I don't deserve this. I didn't do anything to deserve it. But You've given me Your love and Your grace and mercy. So as Kathy plays, let's pray for a couple of minutes and then I'll come back and we'll take the elements together. reading from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 26. As they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, gave it to the disciples and said, Take and eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them and said, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many 
for the forgiveness of sins. Taking your bread, the body of Christ given for you. And taking your cup, the blood of Christ shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. Praise God. I'm going to pray for us. And the worship team is going to come up and lead us one more time in a, in a song of praise because of this good news that we've received today and the remembrance that we've been able to be a part of. Father, thank you again for our ability to gather today. I pray that as we have worshipped and prayed and listened to the truth of your word, that you will bless us and shape us and change us for your glory, God. Thank you for this reminder of communion that's been given to the church that we can remember and confess again what Jesus Christ has done for us. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.